How many of you have, over the years, heard insults or complaints or jokes about New Brunswick? Anybody heard those before? If you've been a New Brunswicker for long enough, the answer should probably be yes. There's lots of them out there, right? And we could probably fill our whole time today just talking about those jokes and insults and complaints. Uh, the one that immediately comes to my mind is I have someone in my life and in my family who calls New Brunswick no funswick. So that really ministers to me when they say that. But anyway, um, I'm not like super into the bashing because um, I think we're very blessed. We're very fortunate to live where we live. Would you agree? We're very blessed. I'm proud to be from here. But there's one complaint that I heard a number of years ago, and at first I sort of dismissed it, but then I kind of kept hearing it and hearing it, and it's kind of stuck with me, and I think there might be something to it. So it's always from people who don't live around here, and I, it, they, they say this. They say, New Brunswick does not have enough signage. Did you ever hear that one before? I had not heard that one. And I said, yeah, right, you're just not paying attention to the signs. And we don't tend to pay attention to the signs because we know where we're going, right? We don't really need to read them. But then I kept hearing it and hearing it. People from away, they say, I couldn't figure out where to go because there's not enough signs. There's not enough signs. How am I supposed to know which exit to take, which road to take? I worked at a provincial park and got a lot of this. How am I supposed to find this place with a terrible amount of signs? And there is something to that, I think. Because if you say don't have a map or you don't have a GPS, maybe your phone like fell under the seat of your car or something and you can't get it, I don't know, and you don't have uh, signs to tell you where to go, like how are you supposed to know? Like how are you actually supposed to be sure that you're on the right track? You know what I mean? And we probably have lots of stories too about times when we all got lost going somewhere. Perhaps we'll share them later, but uh, I imagine we have some good ones. Um, this principle about being able to tell if we're on track or not, the reason I'm saying all that is because there's a, a similar principle in our faith as well. Um, we're in a series right now where we're going through the book of First John, and I thank Darlene for reading the scripture for this morning. Uh, this is a great book. It's full of great stuff for us, for our church, for our, for our lives right in this season. And this is the third week that we're in it. What we saw in the first week, just very fundamentally important truth. We said this, God has a life for us. God has a life for you. And it's a life beyond Sunday morning. It's a life, uh, a good life. It doesn't mean that always good things happen to us, but it's a full life, an abundant life. And that's the life that we want to live. If God has a life for me, that's the life I want to live. Is that true for you? So, we want to do what we can to come into that and, and, and experience that life that he has for us. And last week, I don't know why that's making that noise. You can just ignore that. Okay. Um, last week we saw that in order to come into this life, as we decide, okay, I really want to live this, I really want to come into this, one of the things we have to do is deal with our sin. Because we're all sinners, right? And sin kind of blocks us in some ways from really experiencing the fullness of the life that God has for us. So we want to deal with our sin. Now this week we're going to explore this big concept, this big question. How can I tell if I'm on track? Because like when you're driving in your car and you maybe aren't quite sure where you're going, like you want to be sure that you're on the right track. Because what you don't want to do is go way down the road and then find oh, I thought I was in the right and I actually wasn't. Well, same in our life in Christ. We don't want to live and spend a whole bunch of days and months and years thinking we're right on track with this life that he has for us. 
only to find out much later, oops, I've actually been missing it. So are there ways we can tell? How can I be sure that I am living this life and walking it out? How can I be sure that I am positioning myself and pointing myself in the direction of this life? Because I don't want to miss it. I don't want to waste the life that God has given me. I want to come right alongside what he's got for me and live that out. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So we've already read our scripture. We've already prayed. So why don't we get into it, shall we? So uh, verse 1 in this text, we're in 1 John chapter 2. You can go there in your Bible now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It starts out by saying, my little children. I want to just pause on that even for a second. Those are an important three words to start out this text because the Apostle John is writing this book. And at the time that he wrote this, he was an older man. He was a seasoned believer, seasoned minister of the gospel. And that's the posture he sort of takes when he's thinking about those that he's writing to. And by the way, he's writing to us. God is speaking to us through this. That's how John sees his readers, my little children. And there's something about that that I think we ought to have and embody as well. Whether you are a... Uh, a seasoned believer or you're a newer believer, whether you're older in age or younger in age. I'm going to try to fix this. Just one sec. Just hold just a sec. I don't know why this is doing this. Um, okay. I don't know. You can bear with me. You have grace for me, right? Okay. Um, whether, whether you are, as I say, older, younger, newer in the faith, been in the faith for a while, there's a, there's a heart that John has for his readers, and it's an outward kind of focus. He says, my little children. Like, John probably has lots of things to do. We talked about his life a couple weeks ago. He's a busy guy, lots going on, lots of trouble in his own life, but he still has concern for other people. So we, too, ought to have concern for other people. John is concerned for other people's well-being. He's concerned for their growth in the faith. He's concerned for them. I, he says, I want them to be on this path of this life. Well, same should be true for us. And how easy is it to just get into our own program, right? We just, I'm, I'm busy. I got things to do. Sound familiar? And we don't even notice what's around us. There are people around us. There are opportunities all around us. And we don't want to miss those. Because God sometimes puts those right in our path, right? So who do you have in your life who you can encourage? Who do you have in your life who you can come alongside and share Christ, share the gospel with? Who do you have in your life that you can come alongside them and help them grow in their faith? Uh, we want to have that same outward kind of focus, outward view that John has. Good so far? Okay, so with that, we're going to get into the big kind of subject question for the day. And it's, as I said, can I tell if I'm on the right track in my faith? How can I know? Are there signs? Can I be sure of it? And luckily, God is going to give us some surety in this area. Because again, I want to know if I'm on track. I don't want to be guessing. And the first thing we're going to see here, we're going to, we're going to ask, am I on the right track? Because I look around at my life and I find that I keep sinning. And if you've been a believer for any length of time, this will probably resonate with you because you've seen it to be true. You're going through your life. You're trying to live for Jesus. Do, you know, what he wants you to do. And this little problem of sin keeps cropping up in your life. Have you ever noticed that? That's called being a Christian, by the way. Anyway, and what we sometimes try to do, we see it and we go, oh, I, I better like try to get away from that sin. And we try to move past it, but sometimes it's still right there, right? Sometimes we try to just run from it. 
We turn around and it's right there. Sometimes we might really try to like get a certain sin under control in our lives and really, you know, work hard to get that down. And, and when we kind of get it under control, we look up and sin has sprouted up in some other area or four or five other areas. Is this, is this like, is this anybody but me? Okay, I don't know. Um, that kind of thing can kind of get discouraging, right? Because you might sort of just have a big sigh and say, why can't I seem to get sin under control in my life? If it's not one thing, it's another. And there seems to be this random thing and this random thing. And I don't know why I said this or did this. Why didn't I do this? That kind of thing can get discouraging. And we might start to say, like, what's wrong with me? Am I like some kind of second-rate Christian here? Like, am I even worse? Am I like, you know, testing the patience of the Lord? Is he like gonna, like, you know, grow weary of this and just eventually say, you're out of here? Like, am I risking that as I keep sinning? Well, God's gonna speak to that. And it's a good word and it's good news. So it says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So, I mean, right straight off, we wanna know, John doesn't want us to sin. I don't want us to sin. Most importantly, God does not want us to sin. We talked all about sin last week, right? And we won't rehash the, you know, in full detail. You can go listen to that online if you missed it. But here's what we said. Sin is offensive to God. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is contrary to the nature of God. And when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. Because sin is imperfection and God is perfection. And the two are not compatible. Sin is something that we need to be saved from. And I say we because, again, it's all of us. Like, we've all sinned, not just us in the room, but we've all sinned. That's all of us. And not only is it grievous to God, I mean, that's bad enough. That's the worst thing. It's grievous to God. But, again, it leads to death. It leads to bad things. It prevents us from living this life to the full. Sin blocks us from getting there in some ways. And what we said last week is there's a way to deal with sin, though. It's not let's just continue in it. That's the wrong answer. It's not, let's just sweep it under the rug and pretend it isn't there. That's wrong. But we can bring it to the Lord in confession. Do you remember that from last week? How's that going for you this week, by the way, the confession thing? It's hard to keep that up, but that's something like, let that be our heart as God's people, that we just regularly confess, okay? I can preach that whole sermon again if you want, but maybe we'll do this one today. Um, also, we saw last week about what happens when we choose to willingly remain in sin, where we just say, I don't even care, I'm going to keep doing what I want, doesn't matter. What I want to get at this week is a little bit of a different thing. What, do, what, what about the times when I'm actually trying? Because again, you've probably seen this in your own life. There are times you're legitimately trying to stay out of sin and to do good and to do the right thing, and you just find that it keeps creeping up and cropping up in your life. Well, what do I do in those times? There's good news about that, and it's this. The life that God has for us is not about our performance primarily. It's not, it's not uh, performance-based. The main issue is not our trying, Okay. Now, before you hear that and you run to the other extreme and say, oh, does that mean I don't have to try? No, that's not what that means at all. Because we do have to try. Like our trying in, in our faith counts for something. It counts for quite a bit. We can't just sit idly by and do nothing, okay? We can't just say, 
you know, I'm saved and that's it. That's good. I, I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to seek the Lord. I don't need like good discipline, good habits. Don't need accountability. Like anyone who would promote that kind of attitude, probably just saying does not have that much of a relationship with the Lord themselves. So we need to try. Like we need to try to seek the Lord. There are things, yes, that God, only God can do. And we should sometimes get out of his way, frankly. But again, we have our own part to play. We need to try to seek him. We need to try to work on this mission he's given us. We need to try to do things like move past sin. Okay, so there is effort on our part. But our trying is not the main issue. It's not as though God is in heaven right now and he's looking down and his jaw is like on the floor because he's so impressed at our performance, right? That's not what's happening. Matter of fact, our efforts, if it was all about our efforts, just trying, I'll just try not to sin. You know what? Your efforts are never going to be enough alone. Just your efforts alone, it's never going to be enough to fully, you know, get there, fully conquer sin in your life. Not going to happen. So the issue is not our trying. It's not about what we do, friends. Ultimately, it's about who we know. Ultimately, it's not about what we do. It's about what's been done for us already. And God's going to show us this because he says, but if anyone does sin, I don't want you to sin, says God, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> have to make sure you're still with me, guys. It's okay. So as Christians, when we sin, when we stumble, I mean, it says if here, but we all know, it's more of a when than an if. When we sin, when we stumble, when we slip up, this is telling us someone is there to help us, and his name is Jesus. And here he's called our advocate. Now I find that an interesting word choice because that's actually the same word that's used about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26. He's our advocate, he's our helper. Well now here Jesus has the same designation. Kind of interesting. Now that word advocate is courtroom language right? Like a lawyer is an advocate. Jesus, though, is better than a lawyer, so that's good news today. Now, why courtroom language? Why is that a thing? Well, because we've committed crimes against God, and a courtroom is pretty fitting in that regard. And the word advocate simply means this. It's someone who publicly supports or recommends something. You get that? An advocate is someone who publicly supports and recommends something. And the verb of that is to advocate. And that just means if you're advocating, it means you're publicly supporting and recommending something. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. So let me ask you this. I'll ask this. Ooh, hello. Um, where is Jesus right now? Not a trick question. Where is Jesus right now? Yes, I heard at the right hand of the Father. And yes, he's here too. That is, that is correct. Jesus is in heaven right now, though. That's where he is, right? He ascended into heaven. He's coming back one day, but that's where he is right now. He's in glory. He's doing just fine, by the way. It's pretty good where he is. So Jesus right now is in heaven, and one of the things that he is doing whilst in heaven is advocating for us. He is publicly supporting and recommending us. Does that sound pretty good? And so... Because we're down here and we're sinning and stumbling and we're committing crimes against God, even as people who are saved, but Jesus is standing in the gap for us on our behalf. In other words, Jesus is before the Father and even when we sin, he's saying, there with me, there with me, there with me. 
over and over and over again and over and over and over again. And if we think, well, you know, what if my sin becomes greater than what Jesus can advocate for? Well, that isn't going to happen because he is a sufficient advocate. His grace is greater than all of our sin, right? And this is going to talk about this specifically. It says in verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not only for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Somebody say propitiation. Just because that was fun, somebody say propitiation again. That word is an uncommon word. That's not a word we see a lot in the scripture. Matter of fact, it's in the New Testament four times. And two of them are in the book of 1 John. Um, that word propitiation, it has a three-part definition to it. And if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. Three-part definition. Propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. Okay? Propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. It's saying that Jesus is that. Well, how is that? Well, number one, he's a sacrifice. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross for us. Can we agree on that today? Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. All of the things we had done against God, all of, the, all of the crimes we had committed against him, Jesus went to the cross and in one fell swoop paid for all of that because sin requires payment, as we said last week. And the payment, the wages of sin is death. So rather than us having to die for our sins, Jesus died for them. Is that good news for you today? Jesus, by the way, the reason that he was able to, like why him, why, why would he be the sacrifice? Why is he sufficient? Because he's Jesus Christ the righteous because he never sinned. So the sinless died to pay for the sinful. Jesus sacrificed his life for ours. Now he's, excuse me, a sacrifice that bears God's wrath. So Jesus didn't die on the cross like for a political statement or like a publicity stunt or to get famous. Well, part of what was happening on the cross is that he was taking on the weight of God's wrath for our sin. Not his own sin, because he had none. He was taking on the full weight, the full force of God's wrath, drinking the full cup of God's wrath and fury for us, for our sin. Jesus bore that for us on the cross, so we don't have to drink it and bear it ourselves. So he's a sacrifice that bears God's wrath. Here's where it gets really good for us, by the way, and turns it to favor. Turns it to favor. We were in a bad way, in a bad state, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, we now have access to the good stuff. Is the simplest way I know how to say it. So instead of the death that we were subject to because of our sin, the wages of sin is death. That's the, that's the, that the track that we're on, all of us without Jesus, is death. Well, we now have life in Christ. He's turned that around and he's turned it to favor. Instead of having punishment for the crimes we've committed, we have pardon and forgiveness. Jesus has turned it to favor. Instead of condemnation and shame for our sin, we're welcomed into God's family. We become children of God. Jesus is our propitiation. He is our sacrifice that has taken God's wrath and he's turned it to favor for us. And I think it would be appropriate now to just lift up a shout of thanks and a praise for what he's done. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. And he's done this for us, but not only us, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know what that means? 
If you don't know Jesus, you can know him. Jesus did this for you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to forgive you for your sins and bring you into a relationship with him. He is the way and the truth and the life. So if you don't know Jesus, that's the way you get in on this. That's the way you get in on the life that God has for you. So what's my point in all of that, that first little section of scripture? We asked the question already. I keep sinning, so how can I tell if I'm on track? I'm a little worried about my sin because I feel like one of these days, God's just going to have had it with me. I'm going to really upset the apple cart. We don't have to worry about that because Jesus is our propitiation, because he died for us, because his sacrifice is enough to sustain us and to save us fully. So we don't have to worry about, oh, my word, what am I going to do? What am I going to do if I sin? Jesus is advocating for you if you're a Christian. I need you to know that today. If you're a Christian, Jesus is in your corner. Jesus is on your side. Jesus is fighting and advocating for you, and that is what ultimately matters. He is greater than our sin. He is greater than our hearts. He has overcome, and because of him, we don't have to worry about our sin. Again, that doesn't mean we treat our sin cavalierly, and I'll just keep doing it, but that means we can have confidence that when we do sin, we're still in the fold. Is that, is that a good word for anybody today? All right. Well, then we better keep moving. So the next thing we're going to see, we're going to ask, okay, am I on track? Because sometimes I go through my life and the thought just hits me. Do I actually know Jesus? And I'll be honest, like I've had this thought before as a Christian. You are going along, trying to live for the Lord and all that, and then that thought just stops you dead in your tracks sometimes. You say, do I actually know him? That's kind of a panic-ridden moment if you've ever had that moment. It's like I've never seen him with my eyes, right? It's a faith thing. I can't physically see Jesus in front of me like I can see you guys. And I, I think I know him, but then I look at other people, and I don't know, it seems like they know him differently or better or, you know, more deeply than I do. So am I missing something? Have I actually, do I actually know him? God's going to speak to that too. And this is a very interesting section of scripture. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him. We can know for sure. By this we know. So we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. By this we know that we've come to know him. Now that when it says come to know him, the Bible often talks about knowing God. It's in there a lot, knowing God. And when the Bible talks about knowing God, it's always always talking about more than just some loose belief that there is a God out there. And that's where a lot of people in the world kind of stop, right? Oh yeah, I guess, sure, I guess there's probably a God. Like, why all the churches if there isn't, right? Like, I don't know. Listen, it's about more than that. It's about more than that. When the Bible talks about knowing God, it's always talking about more than just filling your head with information about him. When the Bible talks about knowing God, it's always talking about more than I'll just come to a church service, you know, occasionally to hear about him. It's always about more than that. When the Bible talks about knowing God, it's talking about knowing him personally, intimately, and the word is relationally. We're back to relationship again. Have you heard that word yet in this series? Yes, you have. It's about a relationship. I know about Wayne Gretzky because I'm a hockey fan. I personally think that Wayne Gretzky is the greatest to ever play. If you disagree, I will see you out in the parking lot later. 
I know about Wayne Gretzky, okay? Actually, his father just died this week. So, anyway, we can pray for him. But I know, like, some facts about him. I know, randomly, I know his birthday. He actually just turned 60, like, a few weeks ago. Um, I know some of his stats, which are ludicrous. I, I even have his rookie card. Now, it's a knockoff. It's worth about five cents, probably. But it's a rookie card, nonetheless. So here's the question. Do I know Wayne Gretzky? Well, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know I don't know him? <laughs> Maybe he's like a distant cousin. I don't know. No, I don't know Wayne Gretzky. I feel as though I'd recognize him if, you know, I saw him in, on the street. Doubt he would recognize me. Maybe there's a chance, but probably not. Well, in the same way, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And unfortunately, there's too many people that the church is just filled with people who know some stuff about God, but don't really know him personally and relationally. And we've got to change that. And we can change that, friends. Because it's an invitation to know him. With God, see, I want you to just know this. It's never a closed door. It's not a case of you, you know, have been a Christian for a long time, but you've never really known God, and, you know, you've missed the train. That, that ship has sailed. No. The Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's no, you know, star beside that. So if we don't really have much of a relationship with him, that means we can. Seek him. Come after him. Pray to him. Take steps to kind of go in that direction, and God will reveal himself to you, and you can start having a relationship with him today. I'm, even, I'm talking to, to saved people here, too. I'm not just saying you're not a Christian yet. Yes, that. But if, you're, if you belong to Jesus but don't really know him that well, like, let's go. Come on, right? Now, it says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. I find that very interesting, right? It's talking about obedience. Obedience. That's how we know that we've come to know him when we obey his commandments. You say, why couldn't it be, why obedience? Why not something else? Why couldn't it be, you can be sure you've come to know him when you get that warm, fuzzy feeling during a worship song. Well, it's not what it says. Why doesn't it say you can be sure you've come to know him when you've read through all the scriptures? Well, it's not what it says either. And the reason is because a relationship is what we're after. It's not about a feeling. It's not about gathering information. It's the relationship. And the reason that obedience comes into this is because when you have a relationship with somebody, when you love them and have a relationship with them, your behavior starts to change. Just naturally what happens. Your behavior starts to change. So I'll give you an example. I love fish. I like to eat fish. I don't really, I don't like go fishing. I don't care about that at all, to be honest. But I like to eat fish. Um, I live with someone who does not. I won't name names. <laughs> there she is. Yes, okay. Lori does not like fish. And bless her heart, she is not a picky eater. She is not a dramatic person at all. If you know Lori, she is not dramatic. She cannot do fish, like at all. She's not allergic. She just says, I gag when I try to eat fish. I actually gag. I sometimes gag at the smell of it. Kind of dramatic. Just kidding. And uh, so I don't eat fish when I'm around her. Because I value my life, of course. No. No, it's because that's what you do, right? When you love someone and you have a relationship with them, 
you, you want to do things that honor them and please them and allow the relationship to keep going and growing. And I can probably guarantee in the presence of many witnesses, if I eat fish around Lori, it's probably not going to help the relationship you know, go and grow and get better and better. I'll probably be out in the yard until the smell wears off, okay? So with Jesus, the result, the natural result of having a relationship with him is obedience is what this is saying. Because when you know and love and have a relationship with Jesus, just like the fish thing, you're going to want to do things that please him and honor him and allow the relationship to go and, and to grow and to deepen and strengthen. And the reason that it's obedience, listen, and not some other marker, the reason it's obedience is because Jesus is Lord. Yes, he's our friend, he's our advocate, that's great, but he's also God. And he ought to be honored and revered and esteemed and hallowed and worshiped and obeyed. So that's why it's obedience. Now, what this is saying is, again, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. It's an indicator that we're on the right track. And of course, we're not gonna be doing it perfectly. That's not what this is saying. If you ever slip up once, you clearly don't know the Lord. No, we need his grace, right? His grace, which I said, is greater than all of our sin. But if we are consistently pointing in this direction, consistently uh, walking in obedience, and that's just the general kind of output of our lives, that's very plainly saying you're on the right track. And I find that very encouraging and very comforting because we don't have to guess. You've come to know him if you're keeping his commandments. Now, look at verse four. There's the flip side, the warning. It says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a what? A liar, and the truth is not in him. So that's a bit sobering, right? But there is black and white. If you claim to be a Christian, if you say, yes, I know Jesus. Yes, yes, I'm in. I go to church. I love the Lord. I, yeah, I'm a Christian. But you don't obey. Well, God sees right through that. God sees right through that, Rose. And it says, you're lying. You're lying. You're full of it. You're deceived. And what this isn't saying is, if you don't obey, then you're not saved. If you don't obey, you can lose your salvation. That's not what that's saying. What that's saying is if you consistently aren't following the rules and the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, maybe you never knew him in the first place. And again, that's, that's heavy. That's kind of sobering. But the reality is, friends, when you know Jesus, even if you just get a little bit, when you start to know Jesus, and as that grows, you change. When you know Jesus, you change. That's just how it works, and that's clearly seen all through Scripture. When you know Jesus, you change. You'll come to love him. You'll come to joyfully want to obey him. That's the mechanics here. That's how it works. And so what we ought to do when we read a verse like verse 4, well, we've got to check ourselves. How's my obedience? Am I obeying? Am I walking that path? We don't, again, want to just assume, right? We don't want to just go way down the road and, oops, I missed it. But verse 5, back to encouragement. Whoever keeps God's word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Now, that, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that God's love for me hinges on whether or not I'm going to obey him? Well, no, can't mean that. 
Does that mean that God loves me this much, but if I obey, he'll start to love me more? No, it's not what that means either. God already loves us with a, a full and complete and a perfect love, right? And since it's perfect, it can't get any more perfect. So that can't be what that's talking about. What that's talking about, and actually I like uh, the translation that Darlene read, said this very clearly. That's talking about our love for God, not his love for us. Our love of God is perfected when we obey his commandments. In other words, there's more to grow into. There's more refining. There's more perfecting to do. You know what that means? You're not done yet. You're not done yet. Jesus said something similar to this in John 14, chapter 21. He said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, obeys them, it is he who loves me. And it says, and I will manifest myself to him. That's what Jesus said. And I find that really, really encouraging because that's saying the more you see Jesus, the more you love him, and the more you love him, you'll want to obey him. And when we obey him, he's going to be pleased and he'll reveal more of himself to us. That's how this works. And it just keeps going and growing from there. I want you to know knowing God and loving God and obeying God are all very closely tied together. They're not just these separate silos that have nothing to do with each other. They're very connected they feed into each other. And here's how it works. Based on this, based on John 14, 21, when we come to know God, we come to love him more and more. To know him is to love him, right? And when we love God, we're gonna joyfully want to obey his commandments. And when we obey, he reveals more of himself to us so we can get to know him even more, which will cause us to love him even more, which will cause us to want to obey him even more. And it just goes and goes and goes and goes. It's endless. That is a life, people. That is a life and a lifetime worth of things. That is beyond Sunday morning. Would you agree? Okay, so the point on that section of scripture is this. If you want to know if you're on track in your faith, ask yourself, am I walking in obedience? Because that's the indicator. It's a clear indicator. And we've got to take the, the Lord at his word. If that's what he says, if you obey my commandments, that's a sign that you've come to know me. Well, if you're in obedience to him consistently and ongoing, congratulations, kudos to you. You're on the right track. Keep going. Keep doing that. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep depending on his grace. This is the pathway to the life that he calls us to. And again, the flip side of that is if you are checking yourself and you're not in obedience. Again, it's an invitation. God has grace for you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. He wants this life that he has for you. He wants you to live it. So start obeying. Start just one foot in front of the other. Start walking with him. It's a journey, okay? So that's where we're at with that. Third thing and final thing we're going to talk about is one more question. Am I on the right track? Because I want to know. I want to know for sure if I'm walking the walk, okay? I want to know for sure. Like, yes, I've got, you know, I know Jesus here, and I think there's something here too, but I want to know that the things that I'm doing, the way that I'm living is in line with what God has for me. I don't want to just be a Christian in here. I want to be a Christian with everything I've got. I want to live for the Lord in the things that I do outwardly, and I want other people to see those. So is that showing through? Am I walking the walk? Because ultimately, friends, listen, our lives are supposed to model after something. Our lives are supposed to look like something. We're not just, this life is not just build your own. It's not just, oh, I'll become the best version of myself. I'll just do whatever I want. And you know, no, we're supposed to look like something specific as Christians, someone specific. 
So we're in verse 5 now. It says, by this we may know, there it is again, we can be sure that we are in him. And I love that language, by the way, in him. That's in relationship with him, doing life with him. That's what we want, to be in Christ. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Very clear, very clear. Walk in the same way in which he walked. So the life that God has for us is a life of growing to be more like Jesus. Can't miss that today being more like Jesus. So if we say we know God, if we say I'm in this, I'm on track, I'm on this life that he has for me, then we ought to be becoming more like Christ. And it's very clear. Look, because we can pick up the Bible and we can just look at the life of Jesus and we can observe, we can see for ourselves how he lived. We don't have to guess. Is that good news? So you might ask, well, okay, well, how did Jesus walk? How did Jesus live? If I'm supposed to do the same thing, if there's supposed to be more of that welling up in my life, what is it specifically? Well, there's a long list. I'll give you a few. Number one, Jesus walked and lived with God. Jesus is God, but he modeled what it's like to have a relationship with God. You can read all through the Gospels. Jesus would often take off and withdraw and go off by himself and pray. He'd just hang out with the Father, talk to the Father for long periods of time. Jesus would use language like, my Father, my Father, a lot. Jesus had a relationship with the Father. And so if we're going to live this life Jesus has for us, well, then we ought to be connected to God in relationship because that's what Jesus did, right? Very, very, very plain, very simple. Number two, Jesus walked and lived without sin. And I mean, we've talked on and on about sin, but we know that Jesus was without sin. He was perfect, flawless, never sinned. And again, we're not ever gonna, on this side of heaven, measure up to that, but let that be our heart, friends. Let that be our intention and let us be serious about that. Make it our business to progressively move past sin and not just you know, keep it right there or coddle it or whatever. Because Jesus was without sin. And if we're gonna be more like Jesus, we gotta go on that track. Number three, Jesus walked and lived by the Spirit. And that's kind of a whole other talk for another day. But Jesus lived and walked and, and did powerful things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would just ask it to you this way. Has the Holy Spirit been given to us as believers in Jesus? Yes. yes. Not a different Holy Spirit, mind you. It's the same Spirit. The same, there's a verse that says the same power, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. So we need to learn how to yield to the Spirit and listen to His voice and, and listen to His promptings and walk after that. And that's, again, that's a practice that takes some time, but that's got to be our heart because that's how Jesus lived, by the Spirit. Number four, Jesus lived and walked in love and compassion for other people. Somebody says, I was doing great until you got to this one. Because, again, it's so easy for us to I'm busy. I'm doing my thing. I'm on my program. I don't have time to do X, Y, Z. And there's people all around us who are struggling, who are hurting, who need encouragement, who need Jesus. And if we're just zoned into our own little world, we'll miss that. Well, that is not how Jesus lived, friends. Jesus, you could clearly read in scriptures, he'd go around from place to place to place and he would notice people. 
and he would address them and he would help them. So let that be our heart as well. Let us be looking around for opportunities of who the Lord is putting right around us who we can show the love of Christ to. That, that models after Jesus. Number five, Jesus walked and lived in humility. I mean, this one, like this one's a struggle. We puff out our chest. We want to be noticed. We want everyone to see how great we are. We want us to be elevated. And that's not how Jesus lived. The irony is this. If anyone could have come along and been boastful in themselves, it would have been Jesus. But that's not what he did. Matter of fact, uh, it says in Philippians 2 that even though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. Where's our heart in that? Like, that one got me this week. Finally, number six, Jesus walked and lived as a servant. I mean, there's some parallels there to humbling ourselves. Again, the irony is that if anyone could have come along and demanded to be served and, and you know, seen to, it'd be Jesus. But the Son of Man came not to, ser to be served, but to serve. I knew I was going to get that wrong. He came not to be served, but to serve. So what, where are we in this? Like, do you serve other people? Do you intentionally help others and serve them? Because that's what Jesus did. He has served us, friends, so we ought to serve one another. And the list goes on and on and on and on, but the point is this. If we want to live this life that God has for us, if we want to know that we're on track with this life he has for us, we look to Jesus. We start to take after Jesus. We become more like Jesus. That is the issue here. Because he is our measuring standard to see if we're on track. He is the measuring standard. He is the one we look to. And again, he's way up here. We are somewhere south of that, right? But again, let it be our heart. The more our lives and our hearts and our actions start to model after Christ, the more we can tell we're on track. Does that make sense? So that's where we're at. And now we're going we're gonna to start to wrap up here before this thing explodes on my head. Um... There's one more word in our text that I wanted to show you, um, and it's an important word. Uh, it's the word abides. I don't know if you saw that when we were reading it. It says, whoever says he abides in him. Okay. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That word abides, or abide, or abiding, that's in the book of 1 John 23 times. 23 times in five chapters. In other words, it's an important word. That word abiding. And that's ultimately what this life is. Abiding simply means this. It means you get with someone, you stay with them, you hang out with them, you do life with them, and you don't depart from them. That's what abiding is. Well, that's the life we're called to. That's relationship. That's relational. Abiding with Christ. And I would just call our attention back to the fact that he has a life for us, friends. And that's the life we want to come into. That's the life we want to live and experience. It's about being in him, abiding in him. And we're going to talk about that word in the coming weeks too. Um, but we've got to look to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And ultimately, when we're abiding in him, when we're sticking close to Jesus, all these big questions we talked about today, they're taken care of. When we say, 
I don't know if I'm on the right track because I keep sinning. Help, I don't know what to do. Listen, when we stick close to Jesus, we know and we remember he is advocating for me. He is, my, he is the sacrifice for my sins. He's my propitiation. He, has, he, he bore God's wrath for me. He's turned it to favor for me. So I don't have to worry about getting thrown out of here because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We might, when we come into places in our lives where we say, man, do I actually know the Lord? Oh, my word. Am I on the right track with that? What's going on? Well, when we abide in Christ, when we stick close to him, when we come to know him more, again, that's going to lead us to obeying him more. And the word of the Lord says when you're obeying the Lord, that's a sign you know him. So we don't have to worry because it's all about Jesus. And when we ask the question, Am I on the right track? Like, does my life look like what it's supposed to look like? Am I modeling and doing the right things? Well, again, we look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter and the pioneer of our faith. And when we see our lives aligned with his character and his works and his person, we know we can be on track. And friends, that's what I want for us. That's what I want for you. I don't want us to be a people who are always doubting, always questioning, always wondering where we stand. We can have confidence we can have confidence in this life. And it's not a confidence that comes in and of ourselves. It's not a confidence that comes from our efforts or our performance. It's a confidence that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we're at. You guys good?